Welcome to the Property Management Mastermind Show with your host, Brad Larson. Brad owns one of the fastest growing property management companies in San Antonio, Texas. This podcast is for property managers by property managers. You'll hear from industry leading professionals on best practices, new ideas, success stories, and lessons learned. This is your opportunity to learn about the latest industry buzz surrounding property management, as well as tips and strategies to improve your business. Remember that commercial, where's the beef? In property management, you could say, where's the profit? You want your business to grow, but it feels like you're just spinning your wheels. We get it because we've been there. If you are ready to do something different in 2022, then head over to thepropertymanagementcoach.com to find out more about coaching programs and what they can do for you. Mention that you heard this ad on the Property Management Mastermind podcast and get $250 off any coaching program. Again, the website is thepropertymanagementcoach.com. PestShare, a pest control amenity for your resident benefits program, starting at just $5 per door. You can give your residents the pest control coverage they need. PestShare will even pay for the expensive infestations like bedbugs and cockroaches. And the debate over who pays for pest control while PestShare turns an expense into added revenue. For more information, check out their website at pestshare.com forward slash property managers. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Property Management Mastermind Show. I am your host, Brad Larson, and today's guest, I'm going to be bringing us Mr. Randall Henderson. And so Randall is, i got to give you some background. I've chosen him to be our MC at the Property Management Mastermind Conference in 2022. Uh, unlike me, I have a very good face for radio, but Randall has a very good face for on stage, just presence. He's going to be able to tell some jokes, but I'm going to let him introduce us a little bit. And the reason I'm bringing him on today, I want to have a conversation with him about the property management industry as a whole and how it relates to the franchise world because he's going to tell us more about his franchise business and what the role he plays in that but i think it's kind of fascinating to see and we'll talk about just the industry and the influx of money the influx of interest and just kind of have a real good fun conversation with it so without further ado i'm going to introduce randall and let him tell us a little bit about himself randall go ahead Hey, thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. Right out of the gate, I just got to tell you guys, I am so stoked to see all of you at the Property Management Mastermind Conference. You know, when Brad asked me to host, I was kind of, I was kind of like very interested as to why he might be looking to kind of get some more energy up on stage. But if you know Brad and you love Brad, then you know why he's looking for for a little bit of help up there. But at the same time, guys, if you haven't been to Property Management Mastermind, it is an awesome experience with, um, in my view, the top property managers from around the country who are coming together and are sharing and learning. And it is going to be exciting. It's going to be pretty fun, I think. And it's going to be just an amazing experience. So um, sign up, come. We're going to have a lot more, I think, um, hosting fun this year than we've ever had before. But uh, just super stoked to, to, uh, to do that. So thanks, Brad, for the invite on that front. I appreciate it. And we're going to need your presence because you have a really cool on, uh, on stage presence. You tell some jokes, you, you wear funny outfits. I mean, it's, it's, you know, we, we know how good you are. I remember the, uh, the property work, uh, event, this would have been three, four conferences ago. Yeah. And you showed up in the eighties, Richard Simmons outfit, man. That was so funny. <laughs> we still have pictures of that today. Oh man. Well, I've got some stuff planned already. 
and uh, we'll be working on some more fun stuff. And and just the big thing is just to bring people together and just um, just to be able to learn and grow together. And you know, I I count myself blessed because who would have thought that that in the property management industry you would meet such incredible people. So uh, and that that goes for for Brad, his team, and and then everyone that's just a part of this conference. So I'm I'm really excited about that. So give us some scale of your role and what you're doing yeah. for the company. Yeah. So for those of you who aren't familiar with PMI, believe it or not, there's a group out there that decided that franchising property management was a good idea. And the name of that group is Property Management Inc. or PMI. And I've been with PMI for about eight years. I'm the vice president of our residential and commercial portfolios. Now, PMI is kind of a unique beast in the space because we are not just doing residential property management. We're also doing commercial HOA management, as well as short-term management. And to be honest, the HOA and short-term in the last few years have really accelerated and skyrocketed. So what that looks like from for like a new person who's coming into PMI, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm interested in real estate. I want to start a company. I need a little help. I don't know what I'm doing. I need some extra support, training, and systems. So they, they're led to PMI where they would buy a package that includes all of those things. But then they can choose right out of the gate, what business do you want to start in? Do you want to start in, in residential? Well, great. You come into the residential pillar. That's in, in my purview. And we'll train you how to do it. We'll help you grow your business. We'll help you kind of kind of go through that. And then in return, in the franchise model, you pay us basically 6% of the, the royalties or the gross revenue that you make. So that's kind of the way that, that PMI works. As far as the scale and the size, um, I'll go franchise size first. So PMI is now the largest franchising group in the space. We have 370 operators um, all around the country. We're in about 47 states. We've also open, opened in Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, and um, Puerto Rico. And so we're, we're starting to kind of, you know, broach into the international space. Although I got to tell you, man, that is a, that is a different world. So we're, we're very slow on that front. But when you look at our total portfolio overall, we're managing around 27,000 individual single family properties, about 1,000 commercial. We're managing 70,000 units of associations and then around 1,500 short-term rentals right now. So those latter two are kind of our, our newer expansion areas. Phenomenal stuff there because that's a great overview of what you guys do. And to give people some perspective on the 6% royalties, that's pretty normal standard, even in any sure. real estate franchise. So if you go buy a Century 21 or a Remax or a Keller Williams, if you can get one or any one of those, they all have a, a royalty off of a transaction. It's very similar, but I, I believe in that as a pretty fair deal because you're, you're taking potential operators who have minimal experience, no operational knowledge, and you're giving them the playbook on how to run a management company along with constant, you know, mentoring and guidance and, and you're infusing your experience into their personal wherewithal and how they can do in their own market. So it's, I just want to kind of throw that in there because, you know, some people think of that, oh, I'm not going to pay that, you know, the entrepreneur people in us, right? We always want to do it ourselves. We want to do it better. But the other side of that is that's pretty fair. So I think that's a interesting. I want to put that in perspective for you. I really like that you pointed that out though, Brad, because like me, myself, I started my own company in property management. Many, many people who know me do, don't know that I actually came from the, from the space myself. I mean, I, I started a company in 2003, um, initially just investing in my own rentals. I got my license in 05 and then in 06 became a broker and started managing for other people. And I built my portfolio and I ended up selling that business off in order to join PMI. 
but it's funny that you talk about like, why would someone choose to choose to go with the franchise versus doing it yourself? Like I always say, look, this business, it's not hard, but it is complex. There's a lot of moving parts to know. And so it works well in a franchise model where like a lot of that stuff is systemized. And you guys know this too, just from, from being operators yourself. If you spend the time working on the processes up front, it's a massive investment, but then it pays dividends later on. And that's like kind of what the value is for a franchise model is that you don't have to spend the time doing the processes. You don't have to, to make every mistake in the book to learn because across all of our franchisees, we've already made all those mistakes and we've, we've learned from those. One of the things I'd really want to dive into is kind of the fascinating part of the conversation you and I had. This was in Austin at the IMN conference, and we're standing around the pool. I'm sunbathing my beautiful bald head. And we're <laughs> talking about the two outliers that have been very popular, the HLA management and the short-term rental management. And so let's take one at a time because, you know, one thing that's unique about your business model that I feel is pretty uh, fascinating is you kind of have the formula down for those two outliers because we all can do the single family homes or even the multifamily like it's all right there in our in our purview uh, there's a lot of state guidance for that there's a lot of you know pre-drawn up contracts for that but there's not in the short-term rental and the hoa space so let's talk hoa specifically how do you help your franchisees break into that market well and for those of you who are operators on the on the residential side which most of you are imagine the state of of residential management like 10 to 15 years ago that's kind of where HOA management is now. There are no good systems. There's not really great software. There's not a lot of great operators in the space. And when you talk to residential property managers right now, they're like, oh, I don't want to do HOA. No, thanks, man. That, that's like too much of a headache, too much hassle. For us, we look at that and see an opportunity. We're like, hey, that if, if people are running from that space, we need to pay attention to, to seeing what's going on there. And so like, when, an, when a franchisee comes in and chooses the HOA, we did focus upfront on processes, systems, um, workflow automation for HOA, which by the way, was non-existent and like a software that kind of tries to bring all that together. Unfortunately, the result is, is a tech stack that's got like, you know, eight or 10 different platforms that you're trying to bring together. But if you use a workflow partner and you kind of try to bring those in, then you can deliver a good set processes just like you would on the residential side, but to the HOA board. And that's what they're starving for. They love that. So when our franchisees pitch, I mean, we have a very high close rate on, on those, um, those opportunities. And so that's kind of what we're selling out there. And that's what we're seeing. I, it would not surprise me though, Brad, if we saw many more residential operators start to to move over into that space because it really is there's not a lot of great people there so let's talk through some of the challenges and opportunities here so some of the challenges i've seen is you're trying to convince a group of volunteer board members to when they use other people's money to switch yep. to you so that's one of the challenges i've seen <laughs> you know because you're pitching to a group of volunteers you have your volunteer president your volunteer treasurer and all the volunteer board members and you're trying to tell them to go through the pain of switching using other people's money on a volunteer basis so it's a and it's extreme challenge because most of the neighborhoods that upon birth upon their their uh consummation from the builder let's say they already have an hoa in place 
So yep. this drug deal was done decades ago, yep. or you know where the HOA company infused himself into the builder. And there could be some drug deals going on. I mean, we're not going to sugarcoat that. There could be all kinds of you know weird stuff going on with the developer slash builder when they build. And there it. always is. Yeah, there always is. And they built this neighborhood of 500 homes. And while they're they're building it, they hired their own little you know girlfriend of an HOA company over there, and they get that's a right. sweetheart deal. Okay, I'm not pulling punches there. I think that's an actual real deal. That's what happens in almost every single market. Yeah. Again, the challenge is to get them to switch. So talk me through maybe some good idea stuff there that you've seen and stuff that's working and maybe stuff that can help some of uh, us that are looking at that. Yeah, honestly, it's more, it's it, the sale there is all about the pain that they're experiencing and the fact that they don't, they aren't aware that there's a better way. So the, the biggest problem that I see is just getting in front of them just having an opportunity to show them, Hey, there, there is pain that you're, you're not popular in the community because you're the one that has to do the violations, right? You're, you're, you know, you're spending your volunteer time. And what do you get back is hate mail from your neighbors because, you know, you, you, you know, had to find them for their dog crapping in the yard. And so there's just a lot of that, that you can ease the burden administratively that they don't understand that that is the role of an HOA company. They are supposed to be the shield. They're supposed to be basically the secretary to the board. So you come in there and you're saying, hey, look, we're going to make you rock stars. We're going to make you and drive the value of the community up and then credit you for those decisions. And so there's a lot of proactive stuff that you're doing. And it's more just like, in my view, communication in the HOA world is three times more important than it is in the residential world of single family management. You have to be just constantly selling your value, selling your pitch and selling your, um, you know, the, the relief of pain to these volunteer board members. And Brad, you nailed it. You, you have to keep going back to that. Hey, you guys don't have time to deal with that. That's our job. Let us do that. That's what you pay us for. Their existing HOA manager is not saying those things. They're barely able to, to pick up the phone and respond to, you know, to calls and emails. It's that communication piece is everything. Where, where I see the opportunity in this is the hyper local type of an operator, and yeah. so one of the uh, one of our acquaintances, Scott Brady, he's been really growing the HOA side in the California market, and a lot of it is because of the opportunity there, where the current HOA board is working with this giant conglomerate of a company yep. based out of New York City or yep. based out of you know Los Angeles, and they're in, you know they're 100 miles away in California, so they're they're coming across as not local players. And they don't have the communication there because of the number of managers or manager assigned to that board. It could be one manager for 20 boards, right? And they have no vested interest in that board success really other than just a paycheck. The franchise operator that you might be working with, they could be at a smaller scale. They may have five or 10 boards assigned yep. to one manager. And then that manager is highly invested in their success. So I think the difference is to solve the problem, the Shark Tank solve the problem, is better communication, as you mentioned, but a smaller scale type direct point of contact and not coming across as you know, New York money, right? The, I the totally Wall agree. Yeah. yeah. You, hit, you hit kind of the other, I think in your first, in your first comment, you hit the, uh, the developer's girlfriend's company. That's the first company that we see, absolutely. But the other one that we see is the, is the out-of-state larger one. And you're absolutely right when you nail that um, because we, we are local, we are not stretched as thin, and we get a lot more attention and we just relieve the pain. Remember, the key is their volunteers. 
They don't want to deal with the problems. They just care about their community. So if you can kind of bring that to them and bring that level of communication and accountability and you automate a lot of that, then it's, you win. And so again, when I hear people complain about HOA managers, my, like my juices just start flowing. I'm like, how do we get more of that? Let's take more of that. You know? One interesting part is you bring a level of professionalism to the HOA management side that local operators may not have inherently because I have seen local operators and their HOA focus. And it's like amateur hour it is mom, totally and pop, yeah. mom and pop, laughable amateur hour stuff. Yeah. And so if a smaller operator can come in and say, we're only going to manage five or 10 you know, HOA accounts, uh, then they can come across as very local, but yet yeah. extremely professional. And that could be the point of difference that wins them the business. Well, and Brad, zooming out a bit, I think that's one of the reasons why the re- the franchise model works well in other areas of property management as well. Because at the end of the day, people are trusting and they, they're trusting their asset to someone. And if it's a local person that is tied to this national conglomerate, they love that. They love that you're the local boots on the ground operator that's still part of a larger entity so that there's a level of trust there. So we're winning deals on the HOA side based on that, but also on all the other pillars of property management as well. Yeah, that's fascinating. So I I think that's a really neat deal. I wanted to expand on that because, you know, we touched on it briefly in a few conversations, but, uh, you know, the opportunity there for for the operator to break in. So let's talk that a little bit further. I'm kind of talking in circles, but I'm thinking of yeah, the next good. point. Um, do you offer some help in lead generation and yeah. growth on the HOA side? Talk me through how that works. Yeah. So lead gen and growth on the HOA side is actually a little bit more complex than on the residential side, because, you know, it's, it's, again, it's, it's a matter of timing and it's finding the pain points. And so there's a lot of on the ground networking that has to go into that. There is some HOA value and like the franchise at our level, we do provide like SEO optimization for HOA management searches. And there's a couple of third-party legion that uh, groups that we've partnered with to continue to to drive that. So, and I'll, I'll just share this with you, give a little bit of the secret sauce out there. For those of you who are familiar with APM and have used APM in the past, well, APM kind of went off the rails for a while, but you know where they never went off the rails? is an HOA. They still dominated that HOA term simply because the search volume there just wasn't as as large. And so that's been one of our secrets is that we've always been very active on the HOA side in APM and we're generating a a fair number of leads per month. The cool thing on the HOA side is that it doesn't take as many many contracts to equate the same money. So we usually kind of use a math, a quick math, quick and dirty would be like, you know, an HOA is typically 10 times more valuable than a uh, than a residential. Now that varies across the board because the scope of work changes, um, and every deal is a custom deal in the HOA world. But when you look at that, you're like, okay, if I'm generating four or five or six leads a month, that's that's damn good. That you you're actually have an opportunity to close a lot of business if you're if you're getting in front of these boards, and that's the key. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in the APM platform, all property management platform. It's, it's changed hands now twice since it I've has, been working yeah. with it for 10 years. Uh, started off as its own entity, then Building bought them, and then RealPage bought them or merged with them, and now they're one big giant conglomerate. But they do have a very good platform. The, the key to success there is be Johnny on the spot, first to respond, and to just keep the follow-up train rolling. You just can't like ping them, oh, let the voicemail on and forget about them. You got to follow up, follow up, follow up. Yeah, so, and... Well, 
I was just going to say, Brad, we also train on like the, again, the big challenge is timing on HOA boards, because if they don't have pain, they're not going to be looking proactively. If they have pain, then you got to wait for that moment of where they're out of contract and they're looking for another, another operator. So the, the, the big key thing is to get out in the community, to network and to to be in front of those volunteers before. And there's some resources that you can tap into to kind of help on that lead gen side as well. But that's, that's a lot of what the franchise is providing as well is just kind of how and where to, to be, where to go to find those leads in the HOAs. You keep going on the HOA side. Do you guys have a solution for banking that you partner with or have a, a, okay, who is that? Yeah. And so on the banking side, we're with um, South state, which I think used to be center state. Um, and that has been easier to find a, a national solution on the uh, on the HOA side. There's a lot of money that you're dealing with in reserves, and there's a lot of opportunity for banking credits and, and other types of relationships on that front. So if you're looking at that space, I highly recommend looking at South State or another, another kind of large, just HOA-focused bank, because it is very different and the benefits are very different as well. Yeah, we recommend enterprise as well with Alice enterprise, from enterprise. they're yeah. yep, they're good uh the other side of that is i wanted to stress on that point because that's where a lot of the hoa operators uh they kind of look at you with a sly little grin and they say well yeah i've got 10 10 million dollars in reserve though and it's it's bringing in this crazy amount of bank credits sure. that i use to help fund all the the stuff that i do with software and the business and all the other side and that's that's what we miss out on the on the short or excuse me the uh, the single family realm is we don't have that. I mean, literally Thank they you. have probably four or five times the reserves that that the single family mm-hmm. homes does. Yeah. So if you're if you're bringing over a two hundred unit HOA account, they might have a, a million or two million bucks in reserve, and it's just it's baffling the amount that they carry for all these different reasons. So I mean, talk, talk me through a little bit more of that because I, I want you to elaborate on some real case numbers. Well, I, I agree with you. And, and it's not just the banking credits that, and you're talking big money there too, Brad, because as you mentioned, the reserves are four to five times higher and many times higher. Uh, when you, t- when you start to scale up and you talk about like 10 or 15 communities for one manager that can equate easily to millions of dollars that you're holding it in one account. And that's kind of the difference in the, in the, um, in the trust accounting side and the way that the banks handle that. So in other words, the credits are multiple higher. I mean, you can't even, it's, it, there's no comparison com- between that, but that's just one revenue stream that people don't think about an HOA. There are a lot of opportunities for cross pollination of different programs that you might have on your residential business that you can bring in. Remember that like a third of the units in an HOA, they're rentals. And there's an opportunity there for marketing for both sales and for, um, for the management on the, on the residential side. So we actually feed a lot of our business between HOA and residential. And if you're not thinking that, then you're missing out, but there's also other revenue streams on the HOA side that you got to take into account. You know, people always talk about resident benefit package and, and how that's progressed and developed on the residential side. Similar things are happening guys on the HOA side. And that just means more of an opportunity, more touches, and you're touching a lot more units on the HOA side than you are on the residential side. So just, you know, think about what those might be. It's a big opportunity. I always tease some of the HOA operators, well, how many doors do you manage now? And they say 10,000 doors. And well, how many accounts is that? What's well, five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so you, you, you made five sales. You didn't make 10,000 unit sales 
but you know, we always go back and forth. There's the fun ribbing on that because everyone's so concerned about door count. It's agreed. You know, we, we always giggle about it. It's just you know, sidestep in the in the uh, management world. So let's. Hey, you know what? PMI does the same thing. I always say, look, we're managing a hundred thousand properties right now. Now, given seventy thousand of those are our association units. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit because what I want to talk about too is the short-term rental opportunity. Sure. Yeah. Because you know the HOA we kind of talked around pretty good, but short-term rentals is really something that's uh, it's up and coming, and I, it you is. know it's nothing new. Let's say it's been around forever, like HOA management. But more people are looking at this, especially with the influx of Airbnb and VRBO. Uh, they're making the short-term rental business much more attractive, especially when you start talking, you know, 20, 30, 40% management fees, right? Yeah, that's what, that's what some yeah. of their charging. So talk me through what the short-term rental offering looks like with PMI. Yeah. So I compare, I compare the short-term kind of market to, to the 1847 gold rush, right? Just there, there's a ton of money coming into it and it is new and up and coming. No one really knows what's going on. It's kind of the wild west and you'll see it's hyper local as well because you know, cities like, um, I don't know, Austin, for example, have really tight, strict rules about what you can and can't do inside of their city. So depending on the market, and we're, again, we're in 46 states, we see so many different legislation um, happening around short-term right now that communities are trying to deal with it because of the influx. Um, so the offering for, for PMI is, you know, as you mentioned, you typically the management rate is anywhere from 20 to 30%. And the problem is that if you are not a hospitality minded person, you're going to get rolled in that business. You're competing against people who have one to five units and who are dedicated, you know, that's their lifeblood. So I'll give you an example. You've got to have themes. You've got to have like differentiators, things that make you stand out as an operator to attract that client into your, into your unit. And then it's hospitality and guest services all the way. So we've built out a model that, that kind of takes that hotel standard of quality cleaning and delivering consistency. And we spread it everywhere across our franchisees. So we have about 85 of our franchisees that are operating in that space out of the, out of the 370. And again, we're only managing 1,500 uh, units right now, but from a revenue perspective, it is mind-blowing because it's not just the 20% management fee, Brad. It's also the fact that you're, you're more than doubling what you could make on a, on a regular rental rate. So it's 20% of 200% of the monthly rent that you would normally get. So just the revenue works. Um, the systems are different. The, the, again, the software is is really messed up right now. There's just a lot of different players coming into that space. And so that's one big thing that we add is we've, and we've tried six different softwares on it. We're now in this core software called booking automation, uh, which we love that, that kind of brings together the ability to manage multiple calendars and, and turnovers and all that stuff. But it's a huge offering and it's a very detailed business. It's interesting is we're talking about three levels of service and the most profitable ones might be arguable in that realm. But HOA, like you could be nine to five bankers hours and there's almost never going thing wrong. I mean, you're not responsible for somebody's water leak in their home. 100%, yeah. Long-term rentals, you have your 24-7 your maintenance call centers and they'll take care of a fire now and again, but it's you know not 
you know, I'm not coming over on a Saturday afternoon to fix a fence, right? We'll get to it Monday or Tuesday. Then you have the, the short-term rentals. Man, they'll call you at 7 o'clock on a Saturday okay. evening and say, my remote doesn't work. <laughs> and, you know, I want you to come over right now to fix it. And so the levels of touch just, 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 just descend from that, from the HOA down to the, yeah. to the long-term rentals and the short-term rentals. And to your point, the, the short-term rental game, that operator has to be ready to be a concierge. They have to be ready to drop everything, to answer a phone call, because one bad review can sink their ship. Yeah. They could get a one-star review on some property, and the next thing you know, they'll never recover from it. And it's, it's, it's really kind of yeah. a sad, it's sad in a way that the, the consumer has that much power. But to your point, I mean, let's talk through some of that, how you've seen this affect operators. For sure. And, and it's a bit of a theme of this call so far is that, look, hyper-local is, is the way to go, but it matters more in short term than anything, because you have to be so involved in, on that guest experience. You have to know the community. You have to be able to provide you know, value above and beyond what they could get anywhere else. And so I've absolutely seen it backfire when companies have tried to go remote on that type of, of service. You can't do it. You have to be localized and be able to provide, like, for example, in your town, San Antonio, we manage about 60 short-term rentals right now, but it's a hyper-local office that is doing that and that has a great grasp. And that guy, when he onboards a new property, he puts all this, the surrounding neighborhood, the best places to eat, the, the wine that's from the local area, all that stuff goes into that. And so you can really miss that. Um, and so in today's world where, where travel has taken on this whole new, you know, feel, especially in, during the pandemic, where people are even just getting out of their own town to the next town over to work for a couple of months, you've got to have that ability to service that client as well. And yeah, it is 10 times the work, but it's also 10 times the revenue is um, about how the numbers work out as far as, as far as what it could mean to an operator. But Let's it dive is deep into that. So I want to go. Yeah. I want to go through the experience side and then the revenue side because I, I want people want people to really have an understanding of this as I understand it and you understand. I mean, you're doing it in reality. I'm just watching it from the outside because you know I'm not going to be the person taking that phone call at sure. Saturday at seven o'clock for uh, remote control. But uh, the experience is the big deal. And so let's talk through this because the experience starts with: Is it easy to book? Can you find yep. it? Can you book it? Can you pay for it online? Can you reserve it? Do they allow animals? You know, can you do a two, three night stay? Do they have everything you need? Do they have coffee makers? Do they have, you know, the, the refrigerator? Everything yeah. do they, that you want at your home. And of course the easy in, easy out, they give you a code, you get in, there's no, you know, all, around. Yeah. all the experience that just makes it easy to book, easy well, to show up. And cleanliness too. Don't forget about that. Like what they expect to walk in. How does it smell? How does it look? Does it have like what we do now? We do what's called the PMI standard as far as cleanliness. And we do the triple white sheet on all of our beds. So any, anywhere you stay in the United States with PMI is going to have that, you know, that hotel, like triple white sheet kind of mentality that people expect to see. It's just like one of the thousand details that it takes to do it. Yeah. And then the experience book, you walk in and say, uh, or, or see that hey, there's a book on the counter that says all the places to go eat, all the places to do this and that and the other. And well, uh, and nowadays you got to have an iPad sitting there too, with like the local experience, right? Oh. So, that, so that people can go on there and they can just be like, Oh, where should I eat? And they click a button on this little iPad and it shows them like the best areas right around them. Well, that's cool. I didn't have seen that yet. Um, 
But man, that's through my chain of thought off. Now I'm thinking like iPads in the units, are they going to get stolen? Are they going to get, you know, but I guess it doesn't really happen. I mean, people, you have a credit yeah. card and, you know, that mindset too is also in, in kind of infusing the thought process in the long-term rentals is you move in, you're treated like an adult. When you move out, we're going to send you the bill for the damages. That's right. Because, because security deposits are eventually going to go away in the long-term rentals, or they're going to reorganize, basically kind of come up as a different animal. They're going to uh, rebirth themselves in a manner. But back to the, to the short-term rentals, the experience side, uh, making people happy and giving them, you know, like having them not, if they need a, to call somebody, is there somebody that they can call that will answer, yep. right? Is there somebody that might call them when they're leaving at 10 o'clock in the morning the next day and say, hey, was everything good in your stay? How, how was your experience? How can we make it better? And, you know, the, the online surveys are okay, but the phone calls, man, those are really, you know, those are great. I, I think those are great. It's a different level of experience. And that's the level that you have to go to. And the competition is stiff because you're dealing with somebody who owns four or five BRB, Airbnbs, VRBOs, and that's their livelihood. That's like their focus. And that's all they're worrying about 24-7 is getting those renters in and making them happy. So having said all that, you agree with me, and I'm just kind of elaborating on it. The revenue side, I think we glossed over that pretty quick, but I got to talk through it with you. So let's take short-term rentals versus long-term rentals. Yeah. Let's, take, let's take for the baseline, a $1,500 home, long-term rental. And that home's probably worth 250,000 or 300,000, whatever market you're in. Now, $1,500 a month rental home as a long-term year-over-year lease agreement, we're seeing that in a short-term rental revenue side, bring in what? Well, if you want to know the details on that, I'll give another one of our little secret sauce, which is free. Um, go to airdna.com and do a search on your local zip code and you can pull up and see exactly how much and what percentage is full of a $1,500 a month long-term rental. Now, what we're seeing statistically is, you know, that, okay, first of all, double the rent to kind of get a, just a rough guess of how much money that would bring in a month. So $1,500 is going to bring in a 3000 And this, this is very market specific, but if you're just looking at the rough numbers, three grand a month on that, and then you're going to get paid somewhere between 20 and 35%. In most markets, we're closer to the 20 side, but there is a concern that that might be going down as more competition enters the space. So we're, we're keeping a close eye on that, but we're still above 20% on average. Um, and so you start to do the math and you're like, wow, this makes sense, especially if you can solve a lot of those, um, those kind of operations side support stuff and get great reviews every time. But it can go up from there as far as doubling the rent. It can be even more than that. It could be three times. We're seeing many places that are renting for 200, 200 bucks a night. Even in San Antonio, we're seeing properties that are going $300, $400 per night in San Antonio guys. And in San Antonio, not, not what you would consider a vacation destination, but it's not about vacationing as much anymore. It's about just, you know, an alternative to hotels. You're traveling anyway, or you want to get out, you want to go to the next town over, as I mentioned earlier, and you just want a, an experience, right? You're not going to get that in a hotel. So sure, I don't know true. how much more yeah, detail I can go on the, on the revenue side without giving away too much, but it suffice it to say it is, significantly more 
Yeah, you kind of finished the sentence for me because that's exactly where I was going to go. I was thinking it's about double in the revenue. So a $1,500 home brings in three grand. But remember, you're getting a double, you're almost double and a half the management fee. Right. And so exactly. you're bringing that, that higher level revenue in, not to mention the fees that go on. I mean, we could talk about that. Yeah. I mean, the fees that on a rollover. With Brent Bridges' property management, marketing, and workflow automation tools, take your business to the next step. Reduce overhead costs by up to 60%. Eliminate human error through automation. Make all your processes consistent and predictable. Have transparency and control through detailed and sophisticated reporting. For property managers that want to work smarter, not harder, RentBridge. Call us 972-805-8535 or visit rentbridgegroup.com. But here's an interesting twist on the investor side. The second home market for loans, for getting financing, is much easier than investor financing. Sure. So, so if, you're, if you're talking to a, a homeowner that is out of state and they're looking to invest, they say, why don't you buy a home in my market as a secondary home? Go to your local lender, get a secondary vacation home loan, buy a vacation home in my market, and then we'll manage it as a short-term rental for you nine months out of the year or 11 months out of the year. And then you can come visit like a timeshare one month or one week out of the year. And we'll just block off that time yeah. for you to come get it. The investment side of that is different because the lending side is very much different. And I think it's almost like half of what you'd have to put down. It might be only a 10% down payment instead of a 25% for a yeah. regular loan on, a, on an investor side. So there's and an interesting twist on that. Yeah. And the other thing, Brad, is that like, and I think your listeners probably are, are, are knowing about this already, but guys, you need to fish in your own pond. Those of you who are property managers who are already working with investors, you already have a, a path to touching the investor. Why are you not offering them the opportunity to buy a second home and manage it as a, as a vacation rental? That could be a great way to, to start to open up that portfolio for you. Because investors like the ones that you're working with, typically the small guys who have, you know, one to two, maybe you have some outliers with five or 10, they're always on the, on the hunt for additional ways to invest without the massive down payment. And that second home is a great opportunity to do that in your market, outside of your market. I mean, you can, you can definitely um, create some value for your own pond there. You need to fish there. Great. Because of the out-of-state owners that we have, you know, they could be anywhere out of our market, they could look at buying a secondary vacation home again into yep. the San Antonio region and then visit it, you know, whenever they need to Absolutely. for tax purposes. That's a really, you know, that's a concept I'm trying to really nail home with the audience here. So, um, man, there's so much to talk about in that stuff, right? It gets kind of exciting. So, uh, and we, see you, that. We, we see that that buyer exists, they're there and they just need the opportunity to be presented a property that makes sense. And that's where you as a, as a property manager should be able to add significant value. You have eyes on the property, your license, just, just start to present and show the, the investment that what it can be. And it, it's a bit scary, but again, start with air DNA, go on there and, and figure out what the prices are in your area and what the, what the vacancy rates are. Yeah. So let's talk big strategic stuff now. So we've talked hyper-local yeah. franchising, HOA management, long-term, short-term. What are you seeing now in the industry yeah. as far as coming in? What's going on in your world? Because you guys are operating at a very high level. You have people that are analyzing all the different numbers from all the yeah. different players, and you're seeing stuff at a high level. What are you seeing out there that you want to uh, talk about? 
Well, I got to tell you that that's, that's been something that's been our, on our mind for the last six months to a year now, because we know that single family investment has gone mainstream. What does that mean? It means that you've got millennials who are buying property as investments prior to their own property as, as live in. We've got owner occupancy rates that are lower than they've been in 30 years, right? We have, we have this market that is attracting big money. And guys, if you don't believe me, go attend an IMN event and look at the money coming in on the institutional side. Okay, so, so then you play that out. What does that mean for the residential property manager? It means you got to be careful. You've got to start to be more competitive and you've got to look at, at providing a better service than you have in the past. This again, I, some people say that I'm pessimistic or doom and gloom about this, but guys, you, you should adjust because as big money is attracted, what do you think is going to happen to the small mom and pop property management company? And we're already seeing consolidation. In fact, PMI itself is out there buying contracts, buying properties, buying property management companies as much as we can. Um, so if you're out there and you're like wondering what's coming, change in my view. You've got you've to look ahead and say, okay, how do we start to add more value? And, and Brad, this is one thing I always like to talk about. Companies like us and you guys and others in the space, we're always trying to widen the gap between what a, a self-manager can do by themselves, managing their property versus what a third-party manager can do. But guys, there's just as many, many operators and groups trying to squeeze that gap, trying to close that gap. Groups that you have heard about, large groups that are coming into the space with a lot of money. So you've got to continue to innovate and create ways to add value to the self-manager. That's something that I ask myself every day. Is it, is it Brad, if we were to take our management fee down to zero? Well, how can we do that? What, what could we create in our space that would keep our revenue going, keep our operations going, but make a story that's so powerful to the self-manager that they have to hire PMI, right? What does that look like? And so, again, I don't have that solution yet, but I do believe that's where we're going and that's where I'm driving to from my level. Yeah, there's, there's, that is very concerning, of course, because a couple things there, we do see a little bit of maybe commission compression because of the just basically the influx of other players in the market and the fact that you can still make money and not charge a large management fee if you're running the operation well. well um, so like, there is some of that a little bit. The 35% of people who choose a, a property manager, a third-party property manager, and you guys know that statistic, right? 35% of, of, of the um, investments in the United States are managed by a third party. Those people they're always going to be managed by a third party. They're going to continue to be managed by a third party. And so like, and they'll pay for it. So I'm not, I'm not saying we're going to lose those investors. What I'm saying is that that 65% number, if you want to start to add value there and create a story that can attract them, you have to have a different offering. You have to look at what you're providing and it's either you add it on the value side or you remove it on the cost side. So which one are you going to go after and which one are you going to play with? And we're, we're kind of doing a little bit of both right now and trying to figure that out. Yeah, one of the biggest changes that we've been seeing, and this is, this is years in the making, is the influx of using more remote team, men, uh, remote team members, sure. right? Virtual assistants, remote team members. Uh, they're helping to manage the properties just by offering a different level of customer service with uh, constantly being on the phones, the email, the, the text messaging, all that stuff, running maintenance, they're running applications. They're doing anything that anybody in the States can do uh, sitting at home or in their office. So it's, yeah. it's been 
you know, it's been very successful for us and we're seeing more and more of that uh, kind of enter into the space. Yeah, and yeah. the scary side, right, on the scary side is uh, there's lots of big legislation right now going on with the real estate community, the realtor community, where if they change some of these commission structure offerings, we could see a bunch of realtors just up and be switching into the property management world. I agree. Uh, and so not that, I mean, a lot of us started there. I started there and probably you started there or we know people started there, but, you know, imagine, you know, just triple the number of operators in your area all of a sudden, because yeah. all of a sudden they can't go out and do buyer's agency any longer because of the commission compression or the way that the real estate market is just kind of decentralized a little bit. I totally it's agree. interesting. Kind of scary. Yeah. Or just that the secret's out and, and investment, you know, is the new, you know, fashionable thing to do and, and they need property managers. And so I think real estate agents are going to get smart. I agree. And so, yeah, what are you going to, how are you going to compete in a space that's been around for, for 50, 60, 70 years? And what are you going to bring? How are you going to innovate? I hope that you're, that you all are asking yourselves that question because the industry is changing. And if your company's changing slower than the industry is, you're going to get left behind. Well, a key solution there, I'm not trying to plug the mastermind conference, but you got to get to conferences. 100%. And, it could, and it could be any one of them that are out there. There's lots of good management conferences or lots of good, good investment conferences, uh, all aboard. I mean, just, you got to get to those in person because the stuff that we don't talk about online because you know we just don't want to mention numbers we don't want to talk about people in, in particular you're going to hear about that at the, at the bar at the, the buffet and you're going to people will give you real numbers when you're eyeball to eyeball and they'll give you real assistance i mean we're talking generalities right now because we're on the air we're doing a podcast but that's where you really can pick up things uh that are extremely useful and little groups will form out of that. You know, you'll be able to call up somebody in a different market and say, hey, can you help me with this for 30 minutes? And that's where this mastermind concept came in and why this conference really has come to fruition is bringing those together. And so I, I am firmly encouraging people to attend as many in-person conferences as you can, especially if we get this COVID world kind of sorted out, which I don't even know if that's ever gonna happen. We might have to live with this forever and ever, yeah. uh, which, which makes things that much more weird and that much more opportunity for management right? If we're dealing with these COVID issues. hundred percent. And, and uh, guys, whether or not COVID goes away, the policies and procedures that you put in place as a result of COVID, many of those will stay. They'll continue to, to, to be just the new way, the new form of doing business. You think people are going to want to go back to meeting in person at a property if they can self-show that if everyone's self-showing, no, of course not. Right. They're going to want to continue that. And so, um, so that's interesting, but I, I do want to just, just echo Brad, what you said on the mastermind side of things, because guys, as you, as you attend, like I, I go to a lot of IMN events, which is a larger investor that's there. They don't see the everyday mom and pop manager as a threat at all. But let me tell you what guys, the mastermind concept of getting together and, and understanding what's happening and getting out there and connecting with your peers that is what will, will push us forward. Those types of meetings, those types of conferences allow us to react to that money that's coming in and create an offering that they fail to. There's a reason why most investments are managed by mom and pop investors or mom and pop property managers. And so the institutional investment side will never be able to touch that market or service that market the way that we can. We just need to start widening our scope a bit to, to understand what's coming and what's changing and provide a little bit of a better offering for today's investor. And that person, that COVID person, that COVID investor, they're not going anywhere. They're here to stay. 
Yeah, one of the comments that was made at the Ironman conference just recently, and I, I kind of giggled at, uh, was a, a, a large entity was on stage talking about, you know, acquiring management companies. And they said, all these mom and pops are going to fail. And when they fail, they're going to turn to us to purchase them. And we're based out of New York City or Los Angeles. And I'm like shaking my head, laughing. I'm like, no, they're not. They're going to go to the local competitor and say, you know, I'm done. I'm going to go sit on a beach and retire. I'm going to nudge you at the at the buffet line or the local NARPM chapter or just, you know, see you at the grocery store and say, hey, do you want to purchase my company? And we'll, we'll work a drug deal and be done. You know, they're not going to reach out to those large entities and try to sell I totally them. Agree. And I thought that was just laughable. It's like so out of touch. But you get the perspective that we are still insulated to a certain level. I mean, the fragmentation does provide a little bit of insulation. So there's things that are, are influencing the management world, but not domineering, overtaking the management world. So I don't want it to be gloom, you know, doom and gloom. But uh, it was just interesting, that comment. I thought, you know, I wanted to, to uh, rebuke that in a way that would kind of made sense to people that are listening. And, and I 100% agree. And I, I personally believe, I mean, we're at PMI, we're made up of 370 small businesses. We're, we really are. Like more than half of our franchisees manage less than 100 doors. And so we're still kind of, I love that hyper-local model. And I think we talked about it earlier on the call, but that's what we're seeing as the future, in my view, of property management. It's continuing to be hyper-local hyper because people are not turning to those big guys. They can't get what they need. They still want their neighbor to care for their property, right? That's the important thing is that the relationship. And so we're, we're still in the relationship business guys, but we just got to think about how do we make our offering more attractive? That's my view. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Randall, this has been a fantastic call. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the mastermind. Uh, I look forward to seeing you at the property management mastermind conference in May of 2022 at the Red Rock resort in Las Vegas this year. So again, much, much uh, kudos to you for bringing on the call. And I can't wait to see you as the MC. Man, hey, man. I'm excited. I am stoked. I mean, I can't promise a Richard Simmons outfit with short shorts, but we'll do something creative. We'll get, we'll get crazy up there. We'll have a lot of fun. And more importantly, we'll move this industry forward. So I'm really looking forward to it, Brad. Thanks for the call today. Appreciate it, Randall. Thank you. All right. Take care, guys. Fine Digs makes your leasing process lightning fast and 100% fraud-proof straight from the applicant's phone. FindEggs not only instantly verifies income by connecting directly to bank accounts without any documents uploaded, but also uses 3D selfies and facial match technology to perform complete fraud-proof bank-grade identity verification, allowing property managers to process applications in under an hour. For more information, check out their website at www.findigs.com or reach out to Henson at Henson at findigs.com. This has been a podcast episode by propertymanagementproductions.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, leave us feedback, and come back for our next episode.